Yo, non-believer Bible club, welcome back. Who is Hobab? In our last reading, I overlooked something. Numbers 10, 29. And Moses said unto Hobab, the son of Raguel the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are journeying unto the place of which the Lord said, I will give it you. Come thou with us, and we will do thee good. For the Lord hath spoken good concerning Israel. So, Hobab is Moses' father-in-law. Except, when he first met his father-in-law, he had just helped his daughters to water their flock. Exodus 2.18 And when they came to Reuel, their father, he said, How is it the year come so soon today? Reuel? Okay, let me take a look at Exodus 4.18. I'm sure there's an explanation. And Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law. Ah, Jethro, I forgot. So is it Jethro, or Reuel, or Raguel, like it says in Numbers? But then who's Hobab? This is what we're talking about. First, Reuel is a variant spelling of Raguel. So, they are the same person. That's one down. Let's look at Jethro. Scholars agree. This is confusing. Jethro may have had many names in many different traditions which were combined. Or if you want to use a word that makes it sound like you know what you're talking about, syncretized, to form a unified tradition. A modern idea is that the translation of Jethro, his excellence, may mean that Jethro is actually a title, not the man's name. Additionally, Reuel or Raguel translate to God or El shall pasture. Jethro was a Midianite priest as well as a shepherd. He would be well-named as Raguel, God shall pasture. So, if Reuel is the real name of Jethro, then we can read Numbers 10.29 as, Moses said unto Hobab, the son of Raguel the Midianite, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, we are journeying unto the place of which the Lord said, I will give it you. Jethro is Reuel. Hobab is his son. But that would be too easy. Judges 4.11 specifically identifies Hobab as Moses' father-in-law. It reads, Now Heber the Kenite, which was of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had severed himself from the Kenites. Another dead end. Unless we look at the Hebrew. The Hebrew for father-in-law is Hoten. The Hebrew for brother-in-law, Hatan. The vowels are different, but the consonants are the same. Which is biblical Hebrew written in? All consonants, baby. Because of this small difference, perhaps, the translators misunderstood Hobab to be Moses' father-in-law instead of what he was, his brother-in-law. So, if you like, you can make everything in the Bible make one unified sense. Which is cool, but I like the reality of many different translators adding little things here and there. As we've already seen, the different texts favor different characters. In one, Moses is seen as the savior of the Israelites. In Leviticus, written from the priestly source, Aaron, the priest, is the main focus. But this isn't new, even for me. This is something I've had to deal with from the very beginning, literally, in Genesis, with the different numbers of animals in the ark and days of the flood. But does everything need to line up perfectly for the book to make sense? Is there something lost if you call Jethro, Reuel, or Raguel, or Hobab? I mean, if you're an ancient Jewish scholar and you're looking at the different letters in the names, 
Each letter has a number, and each number added up makes another number corresponding to a different letter. So I'm sure that means something different to them. I'm just going to roll with it. I've been getting into some real esoteric shit, and it's making me think that most people haven't even read the Bible who've read the Bible. And I'm reading it for the first time, so. (laughs) Bottom of the sinkhole, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see how far I can crawl up, or if I eventually get out. But only if you joineth me for today's reading in Numbers. Chapter 12 And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Racist. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Uh Uh-oh. Now the man Moses was very meek, above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses, and unto Aaron, and unto Miriam, Come out ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud, and stood in the door of the tabernacle, and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak, mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches, and the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not the sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly, and wherein we have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, of whom the flesh is half consumed when he cometh out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. And the Lord said unto Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out from the camp seven days, and after that, let her be received in again. And Miriam was shut out from the camp seven days, and the people journeyed not till Miriam was brought in again. And afterward, the people removed from Hazaroth and pitched in the wilderness of Paran. Man, not only does she have to suffer leprosy, but she's also holding up the entire production of thousands of people for a week. But before we continue, back to the Ethiopian woman. As explained in the always helpful Ellicott's Bible Commentary for English Readers, some suppose that the reference to the Ethiopian woman is to Zipporah, who may have been included amongst the Asiatic division of the Ethiopians, or Cushites. This supposition, however, seems improbable on many accounts. The words, 
for he had married an Ethiopian or Cushite woman, naturally point to some recent occurrence, not to one which had taken place more than 40 years previously. It seems, therefore, much more probable that Zippora was dead, killed off screen, rest in peace, and that Moses had married one of the African Cushites who had accompanied the Israelites in their march out of Egypt, or one of the Cushites who dwelt in Arabia and who were found at this time in the neighborhood of Sinai. So, Miriam and Aaron, the brother and sister-in-law of one of the greatest prophets of the time, fall victim to gossip. I don't like Moses' new wife. <laughs> Leprosy. Chapter 13. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran, all those men who were heads of the children of Israel. And these were their names. Okay, let's go. Of the tribe of Reuben, Shamua, the son of Zakur, Of the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Hori. Of the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. Of the tribe of Issachar, Egal, the son of Joseph. Of the tribe of Ephraim, Oshea, the son of Nun, or Nun, Nun. Of the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, the son of Raphu. Of the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Sodi. Of the tribe of Joseph, namely of the tribe of Manasseh. I appreciate the distinction. Gadi, the son of Susi. Of the tribe of Dan. Amiel, the son of Gamali. Of the tribe of Asher, Sethur, the son of Michael. Of the tribe of Naphtali, Nabi, the son of Wolf, Wolf, C, Wolf, C, V O P H S I, Wolf, C, of the tribe of Gad, Geul, the son of Machai. These are the names of the men which Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Oshea, the son of Nun, Jehoshua. And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and said unto them, Get you up this way southward, and go up into the mountain, and see the land, what it is, and the people that dwelleth therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many and what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that dwell they in, whether in tents or in strongholds, and what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not. And be ye of good courage, and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So they went up, and searched the land from the wilderness of Zin unto Rehob, as men come to Hamath. And they ascended by the south, and came unto Hebron, where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the children of Anak, were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt.
and they came unto the brook of Eshcol, and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they bare it between two upon a staff, and they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. The place was called the brook Eshcol because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence, and they returned from searching of the land after forty days. Which is funny because they don't know they're in the Bible, but forty days happens a lot in this thing. And they went and came to Moses, and to Aaron, and to all the congregation of the children of Israel, unto the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them, and unto all the congregation, and shewed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And they work out. They were doing curls. I don't want to mess with these guys. And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in page turn, our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Chapter 14. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the, okay, hasn't he been saying, hey, I will give you the land that belonged to the Amorites and the Jebusites and the Hizzites and the Amorites. Like, that's the list he keeps giving them. I mean, God's brought them this far, but I get it. They're real intimidating. And the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. Man, these guys. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. Ugh. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land, 
and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long? (laughs) How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have shewed among them? I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. And Moses said unto the Lord, Then the Egyptians shall hear it, for thou broughtest up this people in thy might from among them. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land, for they have heard that thou, Lord, art among this people, that thou, Lord, art seen face to face, and that thy cloud standeth over them, and that thou goest before them, by daytime in a pillar of a cloud, and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if thou shalt kill all this people as one man, then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land which he sware unto them, therefore he hath slain them in the wilderness. And now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great, according as thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, according unto the greatness of thy mercy, and as thou hast forgiven this people, from Egypt, even until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. Wow. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these ten times and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land, whereinto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Let's go, Caleb. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwelt in the valley. Tomorrow, turn you and get you into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. Say unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. 
your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. Oh my God. And all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, in this, the book of numbers, from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me, doubtless ye shall not come into the land, concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. They're cool. But your little ones, which ye said should be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in this wilderness. And your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years, and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. That's some cold shit. After the number of the days in which ye searched the land, even forty days, each day for a year, shall ye bear your iniquities. Even forty years shall ye bear your iniquities. Even forty years. And ye shall know my breach of promise. I the Lord have said, I will surely do it unto all this evil congregation that are gathered together against me. In this wilderness, they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. And the men which Moses sent to search the land, who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against them by bringing up a slander upon the land, even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of the men that went to search the land, lived still. And Moses told these sayings unto all the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. And they rose up early in the morning, and gat them up into the top of the mountain, saying, Lo, we be here, and will go up unto the place which the Lord hath promised, for we have sinned. And Moses said, Wherefore now do ye transgress the commandment of the Lord? But it shall not prosper. Go not up, for the Lord is not among you, that ye be not smitten before your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and ye shall fall by the sword, because ye are turned away from the Lord. Therefore the Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up unto the hilltop. Nevertheless, the ark of the covenant of the Lord and Moses departed not out of the camp. Then the Amalekites came down, and the Canaanites which dwelt in that hill, and smote them, and discomfited them, even unto Hormah. Ellicott's translates Hormah as the place of the ban. Man, that gets me. The delusion of they go up the hill and they're like, we're, we're here. Let, let's go, guys. It's like, no, God already said, <laughs> God is clearly very angry with them and not supportive of their behavior. But they're so close. It's like they could reach out and touch it. And so these men go needlessly to their deaths. Imagine dying in a battle before the thing that you've wanted more than anything 
all the while knowing in your heart you're not going to make it, but you do it anyway. This is what I dig. The shame of man isn't that we mess up once or mess up twice. It's not even that we messed up 10 times and God's like, what am I going to do? These murmuring bastards, I'm tired of them. No, the real shame is the group of guys that go into battle against the Amalekites, even though they know they messed up and they know they're not going to get out because they're that close to getting what they want, that they delude themselves enough to go, ugh, terrible. And that isn't even as bad of a death as wasting away in the wilderness for 40 years because you couldn't wait 40 days. Ugh. All right, chapter 15. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye be come into the land of your habitations, which I give unto you, and will make an offering by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering, or a sacrifice in performing a vow, or in a free will offering, or in your solemn feasts, to make a sweet savor unto the Lord, of the herd or of the flock. Then shall he that offereth his offering unto the Lord bring a meat offering of a tenth deal of flour mingled with the fourth part of an hin of oil. Uh Uh-oh. I think we're done with the story part. Now we're back to the laws. And the fourth part of an hin of wine for a drink offering shalt thou prepare with the burnt offering or sacrifice for one lamb. Or for a ram, thou shalt prepare for a meat offering two-tenth deals of flour mingled with the third part of an hin of oil. And for a drink offering, thou shalt offer the third part of an hin of wine for a sweet savor unto the Lord. And again, if, you're, this, is, if this is your first episode, I will read this entire, the entire King James Bible, no matter what it is, no matter how boring it is. But that's not why I actually stopped. Why I stopped is because if this is the first time you're hearing this, then you don't know that. But you also don't know what a hin is. A hin is a Hebrew unit of liquid capacity equal to approximately 5.5 quarts. Hey, bro, can you give me a hin of vodka? Thanks, bro. I would love a hen of vodka. Now you know. Verse 8. And when thou preparest a bullock for a burnt offering, or for a sacrifice in performing a vow, or peace offerings unto the Lord, then shall he bring with a bullock a meat offering of three tenth deals of flour mingled with half an hen of oil. I find it interesting, and again, this was written down so long ago and compiled in so many different ways by the people who were writing down different parts of these scrolls and then arranged in a certain way in England. So it's like, by the time we get to this, I know there wasn't one single force being like, and then I'll put this here and this here and this here so that it's engaged with in a left to right chronological novel order that corresponds to, like, I know it wasn't arranged like that. But I like how we get all this nice, juicy story. And it's like, ah, we're progressing along with the story. And then the Israelites fuck up again. And it's right back to the laws. Like, I thought I was out of it. But I'm still here. Ain't that it? 
And thou shalt bring for a drink offering half an hin of wine for an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Thus shall it be done for one bullock, or for one ram, or for a lamb, or a kid, according to the number that ye shall prepare, so shall ye do to every one according to their number. Or in NIV, do this for each one, for as many as you prepare. All that are born of the country shall do these things after this manner, in offering an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. And if a stranger sojourn with you, or whosoever be among you in your generations, and will offer an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord, as ye do, so he shall do. One ordinance shall be both for you of the congregation and also for the stranger that sojourneth with you, an ordinance forever in your generations. As ye are, so shall the stranger be before the Lord. One law and one manner shall be for you, and for the stranger that sojourneth with you. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land whither I bring you, then it shall be, that when ye eat of the bread of the land, ye shall offer up an heave offering unto the Lord. Remember, the heave is when they take the offering and raise it up slightly. That's the heave. They're raising it towards the sky, which means they're raising it towards God, which means he likes it. Ye shall offer up a cake of the first of your dough for an heave offering. As ye do the heave offering of the threshing floor, so shall ye heave it. Of the first of your dough, ye shall give unto the Lord an heave offering in your generations. <sighs> Page turn. And if ye have erred and not observed all these commandments which the Lord hath spoken unto Moses, even all that the Lord hath commanded you by the hand of Moses, from the day that the Lord commanded Moses, and henceforward among your generations. Then it shall be, if aught be committed by ignorance without the knowledge of the congregation, that all the congregation shall offer one young bullock for a burnt offering. Wow, every single person in the congregation? For a sweet savor unto the Lord. Oh no, okay, that probably means the whole congregation shall offer one, not one each. Otherwise, it would take weeks. <laughs> All the congregation shall offer one young bullock for a burnt offering, for a sweet savor unto the Lord, with his meat offering, and his drink offering according to the manner, and one kid of the goats for a sin offering. And the priests shall make an atonement for all the congregation of the children of Israel, and it shall be forgiven them, for it is ignorance. And they shall bring their offering, a sacrifice made by fire unto the Lord and their sin offering before the Lord for their ignorance. And it shall be forgiven all the congregation of the children of Israel, and the stranger that sojourneth among them, seeing all the people were in ignorance. And if any soul sin through ignorance, then he shall bring a she-goat of the first year for a sin offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for the soul that sinneth ignorantly, when he sinneth by ignorance before the Lord, to make an atonement for him, 
and it shall be forgiven him. Ye shall have one law for him that sinneth through ignorance, both for him that is born among the children of Israel, and for the stranger that sojourneth among them. So this was kind of confusing. It sounds like they just said two different things for the same sin of ignorance. But the first one seems to be a sin of ignorance committed by the congregation. And then with verse 27, and if any soul sin through ignorance, meaning any single person, then the she-goat of the first year is the offering. Verse 30, but the soul that doeth ought presumptuously, whether he be born in the land or a stranger, the same reproacheth the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from among his people, because he hath despised the word of the Lord, and hath broken his commandment, that shall that soul shall utterly be cut off. His iniquity shall be upon him. Cut off like the foreskin. And while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man that gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day. Oh, I know this story. And they that found him gathering sticks brought him unto Moses and Aaron and unto all the congregation. And they put him in ward because it was not declared what should be done to him. And the Lord said unto Moses, The man shall be surely put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. And all the congregation brought him without the camp and stoned him with stones. And he died as the Lord commanded Moses. That's a bad way to go. Not only is the entire congregation throwing rocks at you until you die, but it's because God told them to do it. And then imagine that for them. What an example that makes for the congregation. There's a painting by James Tissot of this very incident. The Sabbath breaker stoned. You should check it out. Ugh. Verse 37. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and bid them that they make them fringes in the borders of their garments throughout their generations, and that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribband of blue. And it shall be unto you for a fringe, that ye may look upon it, and remember all the commandments of the Lord, and do them, and do not ye, and that ye seek not after your own heart, and your own eyes, after which ye use to go a whoring, that ye may remember and do all my commandments, and be holy unto your God. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. It's an interesting note to end on. With a little bit of research, I found out that this commandment resulted in the Jewish talus which is a four-cornered cloth with fringes on the bottom. These twisted knots or fringes are supposed to represent the commandments of the Torah. So, somebody is stoned to death, and then it ends saying, Hey, remember my laws. And I think this is where we're going to end our reading for today. First of all, I love that God is so consistent. specifically. God gets upset and he's ready to kill 
the children of Israel all over again. Like, I don't know what kind of hardening Pharaoh's heart type control God is having over this situation where God wasn't really going to kill all of the Israelites, but he just wanted Moses to tell him not to. Because it's like, how can Moses convince God who created him and knows everything that he's going to say to stop him from killing? Like, I'm not concerned with that. Suffice it to say, the Israelites have sinned again and again and again. And God is communicating that this kind of action deserves death. Moses wisely says, it's less important to kill the children of Israel and more important to show the consequences of that kind of action. Any man can kill another man or many other men. The worthy punishment is that which befits the crime. The problem with the children of Israel is a generational one. These people can't let go of Egypt. So now they'll have to die in the desert. I think about the 40 days that Caleb and Joshua were exploring the land of Canaan. It's a very high-stress situation, if you think about it. Moses sent a select group of people to select a select group of people to go out into the wilderness and investigate. They are surrounded by enemies, but they need information. This is a spy mission, and it takes 40 days to complete it. That's a long time. A long time for doubt to creep in, for your faith to be tested. But Joshua and Caleb had a mission, and they saw to it. It ends up becoming a very fitting metaphor for the sin of the children of Israel. Joshua and Caleb were tested for 40 days. Because they persevered, they came back bearing fruit, literally. But because the children of Israel could not do the same, they must live for 40 years knowing they were that close. Now that's a punishment. And now I finally know why this journey takes them so long. It's not a long journey. Interestingly, Moses is the one who inspires this. Since God truly knows everything, it makes you feel, or at least it makes me feel, that what God is trying to say is, okay, you know the problem, so how do you think you should fix it? Moses says, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. The children of Israel are punished to the third and fourth generation. And so the people mourned. Some, you suppose, accepted it. And some ran up that hill, never to return. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode of the Nonbeliever Bible Club. I hope you had as much fun as I did. Maybe I'll see you further down the road. But for now, take care of my creeping things. Adios. Oh.